This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and I've got uh, Ben Aarons with me. Ben, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Brett. Thanks so much for having me on. It's good to uh, see it's you. It's great to have you. It's uh, you got an unbelievable story, so we're uh, excited to dive into that. Uh, you're calling from Long Island, New York. We were just talking about hopefully spring is in the air. As I look <laughs> out, it's around uh, almost I don't know, 50 degrees here, going to be 60 or 70 by the end of the week, so that's good. How's New yeah, York getting, City treating you? Getting there, not quite as warm as where you are, but uh, we're getting above freezing, which is a good milestone for this point, this time of the year. Heading in the right direction. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, I know you were very passionate about healing and recovery and human optimization. We're going to talk about that and uh, in, in your and your deal, Reorigin, uh, in a little bit. But just like on every show, you know, Ben, we like to talk about what's what's made you the man you are today. You've obviously got a great story and a great message to share today, but just kind of want to learn a little bit of the background and what's made you the man you are today. Yeah, sure. You know, I, I heard you ask this question to someone else on the podcast, and it really kind of got my my wheels turning. And um, the, the kind of answer that came up for me was curiosity, was just kind of the continued um, desire or happening to follow my curiosity wherever it leads. And so when you think about that, like, did you learn that from parents? I mean, was that a family thing? Like, what, what was it about the curiosity thing that drove you? Hmm. Yeah, good question. I, I would say it might be kind of 50-50. I think some of it was just innate. I remember from a really early age, just being one of those kids that, uh, you know, took my mom's phone apart. I once pulled the, the windshield wipers off my dad's car and tried to make a little robot out of them. So I, I always had this kind of curiosity to seek out how things worked and what I could kind of like take apart and put back together. And then I do think probably my my parents played a role. They were both, um, you know, in, independent uh workers. My mother was an actress, uh, Broadway theater, and my father oh, was wow. a, a writer. So they, they definitely encouraged my sister and I to kind of run with that curiosity a little bit and, and explore different options, which was great. You know, I was, I was uh, shocked when, you know, you hear about Broadway all the time in New York and, and then you go there for the first time. And I was picturing these massive <laughs> theaters and all this stuff. I was surprised at how little they are, which is, I think, awesome. It's really cool and more intimate. Oh, definitely. And yeah, there's, there's a, you know, good variety of them, but sure. Certainly if you go there with the, in your mind that this big majestic opera yeah. house or something, and you go and you're in this tiny little cramped seating area where the seats are really tightly packed together. It's a little bit uh, different probably from what most people have in mind. Yeah. Well, in St. Louis, amazing. we're lucky. We have the Fox theater and it's a, an amazing theater and, you know, they bring the Broadway shows through town uh, throughout the year. And so I had this thing in my mind that was going to be that. And then it was like, you know, 25 rows and that was it. I'm like, this is cool. Totally different. Well, uh, what yeah. was show? Was your mom in any big shows? 
She was initially. Yeah. This was going, going back before my sister and I were even born, but uh, she was in crazy for you uh, guys and dolls. Oh, wow. um, yeah. A few others that, that uh, anyone who's into Broadway shows would probably recognize. That's awesome. That's very yeah. cool. So tell us a little about your background. I mean, I know you've, you've traveled the world and, and you've, uh, I mean, really literally all over the world and you're studying human performance and what are the boundaries of our potential, all that kind of stuff. And, but when you think about it, kind of tell us your story and kind of what's gotten you on this mission now. I know you had a, what you call the miraculous recovery. And, and so could you talk to us about that? Yeah. So, you know, basically, as I mentioned, I was really into just figuring out and understanding how things work. And uh, so one of the things I became fascinated with early on, I'd say in, in, in high school was the human body and the human being and how we could change, you know, it came out of a, a kind of egoistic place of, of being a scrawny kid wanting to change my persona and physique and, you know, getting in, into working out and Arnold Schwarzenegger and all this kind of stuff. And, um, but beyond what I was trying to portray or put out there, I remember just becoming really fascinated um, with this notion that I could go from having a thought in my head, like changing a, you know, having a vision of, of myself and then taking specific actions in this case, you know, working out, doing specific exercises, sets and reps. And then after just the passage of time, I would start to see physical changes in the real world, in my body and how the world responded to, to me and everything. And it just became this, this really fascinating thing that I got deeper into as I got into college, I studied physiology and started um, doing athletic training and corrective exercise for some of the athletes there and led to my first career post-college as a, a trainer in Manhattan. Um, I was also still into my own types of athletics as a surfer and someone who had a, a summer surf camp in Long Island. And um, yeah, I just loved how I could affect these changes, not only in myself, but other people. Then around that time, when I was 25, I encountered a challenging situation that was, you know, potentially one of the most embarrassing things that could happen to someone trying to make a, a name and career for themselves in, in health and fitness, which is that I completely lost my health. I went from literally being this, uh, you know, healthy kind of beacon of, of athleticism who was, as you noted, traveling the world, I was surfing and um, then training clients in the winter and having this summer surf camp and everything from that to pretty much overnight being bedbound and having a wide range of physical and neurological problems and all of these different things from joint pain, muscle pain, fatigue, um, inability to read or see clearly brain fog, um, really came, came upon me quite dramatically. And this led to what turned out to be, you know, several years, about three years, uh, stint in bed while I was trying to figure out and untangle, um, these, these complications. So um, I can go into the, into more of the, the details. Yeah, I mean, like, what, what I do you think? Was at the root? Of, what was at the root of the cause? I mean, you think about that. You said overnight, but I assume it didn't. Yeah. Maybe it did. I shouldn't ever assume, but I'm assuming there were choices that were leading up to that that happened so quickly, mm. or was it literally just it just happened overnight? So on the on the surface of it, it it happened overnight, and as I started to go to different doctors and get tested and all these different types of um, things, what was uncovered was Lyme disease, which is an unfortunately common problem in the Northeast where I am. Uh, a lot of people have, uh, you know, it comes through transmitted through a tick. It's a bacterial infection, usually combined with other co-infections, um, and some percentage of people, I, I happen to be one of those, uh, can get severely devastated by it. Um, it can become chronic, meaning it can cross the, the blood brain barrier 
and um, basically create all of these different symptoms that don't seem to stop even when that initial infection subsides. So, you know, I, I noted that on the surface, this is what was happening. It was, it was the Lyme disease, but over the years, as I got deeper into understanding uh, my own condition for the sake of recovering my health, I realized that the, you know, the human being, the human body is far more complex than simple cause and effect. And one of the challenges for anyone who's dealing with a chronic condition, whether it's, whether it feels, um, more emotional, psychological, like anxiety or depression, or whether it's more physical, like mine was certainly a combination of both with the, the brain fog and neurological symptoms, but also all of these um, acute bodily symptoms and things like ju ju uh, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and um, mm. pains and things like that. Um, for anyone who's been through one of these types of conditions, they know that it's it seems to be far more complicated than just a singular cause that could, that could cause all these things. So in retrospect, I like to say, you know, maybe the, the tick bite or the, the infection was the straw that broke the camel's back, but the camel's back might not have broken if it wasn't already mm. carrying such a heavy load. And so of course, you know, uh, working in the way I was, uh, there was a lot of, um, kind of burnout, you know, I was already in this sort of adrenally fatigued state, a lot of um, just overturning and over overworking the system. And that made it, I think, possible for this little tiny tick to come along and essentially kind of short circuit the system. And the interesting part is that as I learn more about this condition, particularly why the symptoms were persisting beyond the point where I was treated and years later, even um, I started to make my way to the brain and the neurological connection. And essentially what I learned there was that the brain has a particular kind of memory for certain traumatic events. And this was actually written about very recently in a, an article in scientific American. I think the title was actually the brain has a particular memory for uh, viruses. Um, that article was mostly about long COVID um, but it bears a lot of similarities to chronic fatigue syndrome, even things like anxiety and depression, um, whereby essentially what, what can happen uh, as the hypothesis goes is that when a person is already in a state of being run down, they're in a you know, low state, um, and then they have an acute trauma or infection or even an injury, like a bodily injury, what can happen is the brain in a very sensitive position during that time can effectively learn to overprotect the body. And that overprotection leads to inflammation, leads to um, all of these different processes that are necessary in the acute phase for healing. Like if you catch a cold, you want to have your immune system react to it. You want to have an inflammatory process there but you don't want that inflammatory process to continue six months or six years after the cold has passed, right? So what, what was once or started out as an appropriate response to, to an aggressor, because the body is perhaps already in this hypervigilant state, the brain can essentially learn that this is how you should react all the time, even to the little slightest uh, symptom or feeling. And undoing that problem, um, you know, that's, that's kind of where the next chapter took me is, is now, okay, figuring out that this is going on in my system. How do you then update the brain's information to, to know that it actually doesn't need to continue to produce this um, inflammatory response?
Yeah. And so what did you find out that like, so let's take that to today and you're helping people and, and we're helping people and, and lots of successful uh, individuals are listening to this. Like what, what advice would you have for us on how to stay away from that? Like the brain fog, the anxiety, the whatever it may be that people are struggling with today. What are some like what I would call peak performance habits that we can start doing daily, like right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the the number one thing is to avoid getting yourself into that scenario. And that's done just through realization, through realizing that uh, we are, as human beings, we are not meant to just perpetually exert ourselves. We have a, a sympathetic nervous system, which is that fight or flight or that sort of go-go action-oriented system. And we have a parasympathetic nervous system. You can think of para- parasympathetic as in the word parachute, mean, meaning that it's meant to slow you down. So one of the things that we can do, of course, is honor this polarity, this rhythm and do things on a regular basis. And I'm speaking to myself as much as anyone else here as someone who obviously learned this lesson the hard way. It still needs to be reminded that um, we have to incorporate into our daily life these types of practices that will help us go deeper into recovery. So obviously things like good sleep are the obvious ones, but um, <clears throat> excuse me. Also doing things just that, that bring us joy on an everyday basis, whether it's going for a walk, interrupting a, a you know, pattern of exertion where we feel like we're working too hard, just installing these little brief moments throughout the day um, that can allow us to recharge and rejuvenate are so simple, but these are the kinds of things that, that we tend to sweep under the, the rug for too long. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm just taking a note here on this, but I, I think so. I, I wear a whoop bracelet or whatever you want to call this thing, and, and it talks yep. about that you know sympathetic <clears throat> versus parasympathetic, the fight or flight. To your point, I like that para parachute, slow down, right? Take care of ourselves. And I think so many times as leaders, we want to go faster because we think that's going to be more efficient. What I like to talk about is you got to slow down so you can speed up. And so. Mm-hmm. When you hear that, like, how do you slow down? How do you create more joy in your day when, you know, a lot of people are running and gunning and you're, you're raising kids and your business and all these things, it sometimes can feel selfish to say, I'm going to slow down and, and have some joy at, you know, one o'clock this afternoon. What are you doing for that? Yeah. Well, you know, first off, um, I, I just want to say that there are these two mechanisms. Uh, it's, it's important to understand that stress is not inherently bad there's always two sides to the coin. Like, uh, you know, a common cold is not necessarily bad. And we even know statistically speaking that if a cold virus breezes through a room of 10 people, uh, three of them will get sick and exhibit symptoms while the other seven say do not. And the reason is because it's never just what's coming at us from the environment, the stress or the pathogen or the trigger. It's also how and why our bodies respond to it. So when it comes to stress, there are these two different types of, generally speaking, stress responses. One of them is what we know as the threat response. This is what activates that sympathetic nervous system, usually leads to increases in adrenaline and cortisol and epinephrine, um, and sometimes goes into that inflammatory cascade if it's not turned off in a timely fashion. Um, But the other type of threat response is what's known as a challenge response. Now, the challenge response like the threat response will have similar effects in that it could raise your heart rate. It could give you energy. The difference is that it changes your physiology in such a way where it actually allows you to become more efficient with your energy. So you can think of it as like the flow state, right? 
when you drop into a flow state, you become incredibly focused. You're still working, being productive, but rather than being scattered and working in this really kind of um, hectic way where we're more reactive, you can actually really zone into what you're doing. So as it comes to answering your question, those breaks or like inserting, you know, certain um, bits of recovery throughout the day don't even necessarily need to look like stopping completely what you're doing and going and having a nap. Of course, if you <laughs> can fit that into your day, by all means, I'd say, you know, give it a shot. But something as subtle as changing our mindset around the activity or structuring our day in a way that supports more flow, where we perceive the, the, the task at hand as, you know, this is a challenge that's going to strengthen me or something that I can even use to get into that flow state. Simply the act of what's called cognitive reappraisal or thinking about it in that way, we know actually changes your physiology to a way that can actually energize us and re rejuvenate us as we're doing the work. So it's not really either, or it can actually be simply the way we're interfacing with the challenges throughout our day. Yeah. And I, I do think what I said earlier too, that slowing down to speed up. I know for me, I like to put gaps in my calendar too. So I can, you know, shut my door and just kind of take a deep breath and then think about the rest of the day. Right. I think that's mm -hmm. really, really important. And for me, it's, you know, it's my daily planner and the things that I go through in my journal is I think with more clarity, that's how you can start to master your week, master your time and all that stuff. There's only 24 hours in a day, right? So we have to be able to manage it to the best of our ability. And I, for me, I think it's planning. It comes back to that. So what, yep. what topics would you say for somebody today, if you could implement one or two key things into their day, that would be a game changer, like an absolute game changer. What would that be? Yeah. So I would say, let's start with the, um, with the uh, kind of bottom-up approach, meaning like controlling your environment, which is easier than controlling mm -hmm. yourself. So the three things I would say, and again, starting with the, the bottom, starting with the environment is, is I'll take a, a page from your book here or, or from my own, which is planning, right? Planning your day. So yes. the first thing is creating order out of chaos. And I've got my you know time block planner here, yeah, um, which is a method I like because, you know, as you rightly noted, there's, there's a finite amount of time in the day and our to-do list sometimes seem to exceed yeah. that amount. Um, but simply realizing that you can only actually do one thing at a time when you plan it out or you block it out, it kind of enables you to, um, to really zone into that one thing, to not be distracted. Stress really comes from, or at least that threat response, as opposed to the challenge response comes from wanting to be in two places at one time, right? It comes from I know I have to get this task done, but I'm getting all these emails or I really want to be with right. my, my family or, you know, but I also know I have to get all this stuff done. And it's that, it's that gap between where we are and where we want to be that creates stress. The wider the gap, the bigger the stress response or the threat response. So to get into that challenge zone, that challenge response, it's to really commit to being present with the task at hand to setting that one thing at a time uh, that we're going to do. So that would be the, the number one thing I would say is, um, is acknowledging our, our sort of limitation and, and accounting for that by, by blocking it out and planning. Yep. Um, the number two thing, um, and this also goes off of something you, you were saying, it is actually slowing down as you're working. 
sometimes it can feel like we are just spinning the wheels, right? And kind of slipping on ice. We're not actually making contact with the ground and able to make that smooth forward motion that we need to make in order to feel like we're really progressing. So once you have your to-do list plotted out or you know what the thing is that you're going to be working on, um, one thing I actually like to have people practice is doing that one thing at a 50% reduced speed than they normally would, even if it's like typing an email. And there's actually a lot of interesting um, evidence and research to show that when you slow your nervous system down in this way, it enables you to engage in a much higher level. And the military has that saying, slow is smooth, right. and smooth is fast, right? Um, NASCAR drivers, same thing in um, Moto, Moto GP you know, they say the fastest guys have the slowest hands. And the reason is because they have that smooth connection to the nervous system. So we want to maintain that, that connection. And one of the ways to do that is by really dropping in and slowing down. And then the third thing is kind of cycling back to the first thing I, no I noted, which is more of a mindset thing. So, you know, now that you have your, what am I going to focus on? How am I going to do it singularly, slowly, smoothly? The third thing would, would be about the mindset and really thinking that when things do get overwhelming, when, when things do feel like, okay, it is that too much to just reframe to yourself that this is a challenge. This is actually going to make you stronger. And by kind of taking the emphasis off of the outcome and placing it on the process, this is what's known as like the growth mindset, right? Um, that enables us to shift our physiology from that threat response, which is very scattered to the challenge response, which, which is very focused. And it, it, I saw on here too, my preparation says, when you learn to access the control panel of your mind, the potential for healing is limitless. Talk to us about that. What's that mean to you? Yeah. So, you know, by that, I mean, basically being able to self-regulate or self-modulate the human body has an incredible ability to self-heal. And we know this is true because if you've ever gotten a bruise or a paper cut and that wound is gone now, yeah. then that's just simply proof that your body heals itself. We don't need to really, you know, through visualization or some other means, make our body heal. Uh, and not only that, but we couldn't do it if we tried. The body has all of the necessary and sufficient ingredients um, to be healthy, to be happy, to be harmonious. And we know this state is homeostasis. That's what we call it. So really the, the modulator there is the nervous system. It's whether we are in that threat response, which is producing inflammation, which is essentially interfering with our body's self-healing mechanisms, or whether we can disengage from that by relaxing, by getting into the zone, by changing our mindset. So when we learn how to self-modulate, that's to say, you know, do these things we're talking about through improving our environment, but also improving how we interrelate with it, how we, um, you know, respond to it, right. then that is in a way like, like accessing this, this control panel um, by which we can, we can kind of grant our brain back the access that, that it should have to be that chief organizer of all of the cells and systems in the body. We don't have to coordinate all these bodily functions. If we did, it would be exhausting and utterly impossible. There's some 3 trillion reactions taking place in the body per second that need to be taking place in the precise manner that they are in order for us to even be having this conversation and, and existing. So rather than trying to micromanage, you know, our, our, our body, our physical health, even um, when we learn to actually 
you know, back off and drop into that relaxed state and furthermore, take it to the place where we can be um, connected. We can be in the flow. We can be productive and, and doing things and still be in, in a relaxed state. That is where our true power lies. That's where we can move forward with our true desires, wishes, dreams, while still allowing the body to support its natural healing functions. And so take us back to that time though. You said you were uh, ill and bed bound for years. And so mm. you don't just snap your fingers and say, okay, now I know all this stuff. And it's about choosing my mindset <laughs> because when you're in the dumps, man, you're like, yeah, whatever you can talk, tell your mindset, you know, kind of screw off. I know what you're doing here, but you don't understand my situation. It's, it's different. So how did you, you kind of maybe walk us through step-by-step step, if you will, how did you get out of that to then now have joy and be able to slow down and, and kind of have that movement and planning and preparation from when you were in the dumps? Yeah. So that's a, it's a really good question. I'm glad you brought that up because um, it certainly didn't happen overnight and you made a really important distinction, which is the distinction between knowledge or information and then incorporating it and training it and really experiencing it. And um, you know, I would argue that we certainly need both. And in some cases, I'd say the precursor is simply knowing a certain thing, like um, for the, the neuroplasticity training that, that I'm involved with now, the very first step is um, helping people to understand that when they're feeling a certain way, when they're feeling anxious, overwhelmed, burned out, brain fogged, that it's actually not saying anything about them as a, as a person or a human, that it's actually just a neurological process taking place, one that can be regulated and changed. So sometimes the knowledge in, in and of itself is um, powerful because it allows us to relax. It allows us to take some of that burden off our own shoulders. So as I was starting to learn this stuff, I was reading books like Norman Doidge's The Brain That Changes Itself. And um, I was listening you know, to podcasts and to online courses uh, at UC Berkeley in neuroscience. And I was learning about um, you know, how uh, the brain could be retrained to do all these kinds of things we're talking about. So the first step was, was learning. Which is neuroplasticity, correct? Correct. Yep. So neuroplasticity is basically, for those who don't know, it's just the brain's ability to adapt to new information. So when we learn a new skill, um, we're changing the brain. Um, so yeah, for in my, when I was in that you know illness, there wasn't much that I could physically do. So the learning itself and following that curiosity already started to alleviate some of the anxiety that, that was telling me that I was stuck, you know, as I started to learn and hear from other people that had, um, dramatically retrained their, their brain and regained their health from situations that were even far worse from my own, um, already that started to have this relaxing effect. But the next step was actually putting it into practice. It's not just about what we know. It's about what we actually practice and embody. And I had this experience that I, I, spoke about it was the subject of a TED talk that I gave became the title of that talk. Uh, it's one deep breath where, you know, as I was learning this stuff, but also still really in this place where I was overwhelmed, didn't know how, how or if I was going to be able to recover. Um, maybe it was some higher wisdom in me, but some part of, of my brain or body just took this deep breath in this moment of, you know, otherwise panic. And in that release, in that exhalation, I remember feeling this moment of clarity, this moment of something I hadn't experienced in years up until that point, which was peace. And um, 
I started to make that a regular practice, just taking that deep breath, you know, over and over again, several points throughout the day, whenever I found myself becoming overwhelmed or not knowing how I would get out of this situation, I would just come back to that one simple act. And as I started to go deeper into learning, you know, more about, um, the nervous system and, uh, seeing like why that was actually helping me. It did seem to be helping me physically, but also mentally. Some of that brain fog was lifting the more I did this. Um, I learned that you can actually start to recondition. You can retrain your brain from that ongoing threat response um, to kind of get in that space uh, between stimulus and response. And you can train your body with a new response. So if my you know normal learned response that that came through the previous experience I had, the illness combined with all of the stress I might've been going through at the time when I got the infection, if that response was to tense my muscles, to grit down deeper, to push harder, to find the solutions, then the new response I was starting to even unconsciously train with that deep breath was, okay, whenever I come up against that tension, instead of you know trying to grit my way through it, I'm going to relax. I'm going to really release and let go. And um, again, by doing that just over and over again, it started to have these, these pretty profound physical impacts. Yeah. So I started to learn more about how I could foster that, which led to more types of neuroplasticity training exercises. And um, yeah, ultimately took, took several, several months to, to do from there, about eight months between the time I was still bed bound and before I was back to uh, going back to work. Um, but yeah, it was a profound transformation. Amazing. So talk to us real quick before we end on reorigin. Talk to us about that, the anxiety, the physical, the mental health. That's important. I know that that's your passion now. And uh, so tell us a little bit about that. <clears throat> yeah. So reorigin um, came about uh, during, during pandemic when a, you know, a friend of mine um, who had been actually going through a similar experience to, to what I went through during the time I was going through it um, reached out and um, we had long been wanting to create a, a sort of methodology around what had helped us both so much and um, but really approach it from a scientific point of view. I think that's, that's something really important uh, in this day and age is yeah. to satisfy that rational part of the mind that's skeptical around, you know, new approaches and, and new, um, new ways to alleviate some of these symptoms. So yeah, reorigin is essentially um, an online program that people can do. There's a website, re-origin.com that helps teach people how to effectively retrain their own brain and start to calm the nervous system and replenish the body um, through these types of brain retraining exercises. So anyone experiencing anxiety, burnout, depression, chronic fatigue syndrome, or even post COVID syndrome, which we're seeing a lot of uh, good results with now, um, they can check that out and, and see if this feels like a right fit for them. That's awesome, man. Well, we'll put that in the show notes for sure. Reorigin.com, re-origin.com. Correct. And then where do our listeners find more Ben Aaron's? Yeah. So best places, um, again, on the social medias, that would be reorigin underscore official uh, for Instagram. Or again, probably just best to go to the website, re-origin.com. They can read my bio there and um, get in touch with me directly through the contact page. Awesome. We'll put that as well into the show notes, Ben. It's been awesome having you on the circuit of success. I think we got a lot in common, man. We got to slow down, get your planning prep sheet here. We got to right. take that one deep breath. And I can tell you through my work, through meditation and taking that deep breath, it is a game changer for those listening. So I think Ben would agree with that. And it's been awesome having you on the show today, Ben. Awesome. Thanks so much, Brett. Appreciate it. 
next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 